What's up, guys? You're now listening to Devo with Uncle Theo. We're back again. We're going to work through the Bible in a year. I'm your host, Theo J. Davis, Uncle Theo, T.O. Theo, and I got my special guest with me again today, Dustin Mills, and we're about to get to it, man. Let's uh, crack open the Bible. We spent some time doing some prolegomena to throw a big word in there every now and then to keep the audience awake and to help our people so they're, they aren't intimidated when scholars throw big words at them. They'll already be on a level playing field with them, and they don't have to use the word, but they'll know what it means. And so we're walking into Genesis, and one thing to know about Genesis is that a lot of scholars have made the assertion that Moses structured his book around what's called the Toledot, and that's a Hebrew word for the the account of, or these are the generations of, and you can see 11 Toledotes. And so you got the Toledote, the history, the account of the creation of the earth, which we'll look at in chapter one, the creation and the account of man. And then you start to look at the generations of man after that. And so some people say that's an inspired division and, and grid to read from. I, I wouldn't go as far as that because people have poked holes in that, but Moses did use that intentionally. So we can say that Moses' intent was to make divisions around that. And I don't know how far into that I would go, how strongly I would state that. But I think that's helpful, a helpful grid to help us break uh, Genesis up with the generations and the accounts of first the earth. And it says in Genesis 1-1 that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it, it makes no argument. Moses just hops into it. And I find this interesting because Moses was put in a basket and the word was art and sent to the Egyptians. And he was trained in Pharaoh's courts. So he knew all these different creation accounts. In fact, if you read some of them, you got some that it was heavy. They were heavy on the mythology back then. You got tales of Gilgamesh. You got all these different creation accounts. In fact, I was discipling the guy and he was in a Bible class and they were talking about all these different creation accounts and it was rocking his faith. He was like, Theo, like, why are there so many creations accounting? My professor was telling me these were recorded before Moses. And so I had to help him get his balance, like his bearings and walk through. But I'm saying that to say Moses had a lot of that at his disposal and he doesn't say any of that. Like he just says, boom, in the beginning, God, like no argument. No refutation. I'm not dealing with all of these other creation accounts. I'm not dealing with these false gods. But I say that, but he does throw a jab. The jab that I'm talking about on day four, he doesn't call it the sun and the moon. What does he say? The greater light and the lesser light. And so I think that was a jab, though, because they worship the sun and the moon. And he doesn't even mention it. He's this the greater light and the lesser light. We're not even finna play games. Like, I created that, and I'm not going to even give it a title. Because y'all worship this crap and that's not what it's about. I'm the creator. And so I think what's helped me understand Genesis 1 is the breakdown of the days. And I really didn't get this to later in life. Uh, one of my professors helped me understand that on the first three days, he formed. And on the last three days, he filled what he formed. And man, that, that was a cheat code for me. 
And what that means, so day one, two, three, then day four, five, six, you can match those together. And what I mean by that, day one goes with day four, day two goes with day five, and day three goes with day six. So let's give that a trial run. So what happens on day one? He says, let there be light. Let's match day four with that. So he formed on one. He filled what he formed on four. What did he do on four? The greater light and the lesser light. And so on day two, what does he say? He separates the waters. He creates the expanse, the sky and the heavens. And kind of heaven is a tricky word. They used to throw me off too, because I thought that meant the heavens where the angels and God was. But Hebrew and the text uses different words for heaven. Even Paul helps us with that. He says, I was caught up in the third heaven. And so now that kind of helps us. Okay, so there's this heaven where the sky, there's this heaven where you got solar system, galaxy, then you got a heaven where God is, the third heaven. And so that that kind of helped me. Did that ever confuse you or you were smarter than me and you just knew how to divide dice heaven up? Yeah, no, I didn't I didn't know anything. <laughs> uh, but it is very helpful. Yeah. And so he separates the waters and the sky the firmament. And what does he do on day five? Boom, birds and fish. So he feels what he forms. Then day three, he creates the land comes out of the waters and the waters separate. And what does he create on six? The land animals, the cattle, all the land animals and man and woman. And I'm like, oh man, I got a cheat code now. So I can, my kids will never, cause you know, kids have better memories than us. We could tell them what happened on the six days of creation, and we don't even remember. Now I can always remember when I catechize or quiz my kids. I could just match the days together. I think that's helpful. And so we go into that. And then immediately, every I'm speaking on what he formed and what he filled. But every time he does this, he says, God said. Then God said. Ten times it says this, God said. And I thought that was interesting. He says this ten times that God spoke and said, because when we get the Exodus, he goes to war against 10 gods, the same author. And I was wondering if that was a connection there. Uh, I've heard that it was, but that always has piqued my interest. But what we really need to grab is that this is a theology of God's word. God says, my word is important. When I speak, stuff happens. So therefore, back to our first session, you hold my word as authoritative. And in fact, Later on, my, my word is going to start to gain personification. And later on, when we get to the New Testament, my word is going to become who? A person. This is crazy. This is so cool how God develops his word. And so God is speaking. We are to hold his word highly. And we move from there into chapter two. And in chapter two, he has a day of rest. That's the seventh day which is our Saturday. And he says he rested on the seventh day. And I think that's very important because that's where our word Sabbath comes from. And it's a lot of debate, especially amongst the Jews. And Jesus gets in debates with the Pharisees and Sadducees about the Sabbath. And I think there's something deeper behind it because really Sabbath rest was what? The purpose of creation. Because you see the days marked off morning and evening. But when you get to seven, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say morning and evening, which makes me believe that rest was supposed to continue for forever. God was supposed to enjoy his creation 
forever, but that gets interrupted that we're going to see. And so rest, talking about rest doesn't mean like how we mean it. Like you just had a hard day of work. You're doing this podcast with me. Uh, I think your brother, you was joking it at you. You want some coffee to help you keep your eyes open. Yeah. And so we tired. We're going to learn about how even that happens from the curse in chapter three. But rest doesn't mean I need to take a break because God neither sleeps or slumbers. So we know God didn't need to take a break. So the word rest literally means to enjoy what he created. So he's ceasing from the creation. Now he wants to enjoy what he created. And I think that's beautiful to me that God wants to enjoy his creation and he gets to enjoy us when we are good and something happens that causes us to not be good. And he has to restore that. And he even has a plan in our chapters today to restore that. And I think we'll talk about that. And I think that's very powerful. But it's stuff that I won't get into in chapter one, like the gap theory you have in between verses one and two or before verse one. People have come up with this is probably a gap theory where millions of years would have went by. And you just have so many arguments there. And I've heard counter arguments where it's impossible because the grammar won't allow for it. But we're just not going to get into that. We're not going to get into. I think both of us take a, a young earth position, wouldn't you say? But we're not really just finna fight over that position. This is not how we move. We don't. We're going to fight. We'll square up over the gospel. We'll square over major tenets and doctrine. But we're not just finna die on certain hills. We'll say, hey, that's our position. But and let's and we'll keep it moving and we'll debate over it and research over it and have frameworks around it. But it's certain things you and I are dogmatic about. We're not going. Somebody start to get on the gospel, start to attack the person of Christ and his work. Those fighting words now. Right. Wouldn't you say? And so now we're moving into chapter two. And in chapter two, it says that he wants to enjoy his creation. He sanctifies it. He sets it apart. That's what that word literally means. He sets it apart to enjoy it. And then I think commands come in after that, right? What's our first command that, that man gets after he's created? Verse 15, it says, And the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You must surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. You shall surely die. So he gets, man gets a command. And then right after that, he says that it's not good for man to be alone. This is the first time he says that it is not good. And so I think Adam gets an object lesson in it not being good. Because after that, he tells him to name the animals. And so think about that process, bro. If you're Adam and you're naming animals, what are you seeing? Pig? Mr. Pig, Mrs. Pig, then you get cow, Mr. Cow, Mrs. Cow, Turtle, Mr. Turtle, Mrs. Turtle. I'm going to stop there because I may start to name an asexual creature that doesn't need a counterpart and make embarrass myself. But you, you're naming, you're seeing male and female. And then what does he notice about himself? Mr. Adam, I don't have no Mrs. I also think it's interesting that God created man like it was a it was a special situation. Yeah. Even you see more so in chapter two, and I didn't mention this, it's more like a zoomed in account of chapter one. Mm -hmm. So you have the creation 
stated on day six in chapter one, but then you zoom in a little more in chapter two. I think you bring up a good point because a lot of people would say that the Bible contradicts right there because it actually has the account of man and woman again after creation. But I don't think that's what's going on there. I think he's given a a 30,000 foot view of what he did. And then he's let's zoom in on this day because this is important. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think that still would put day seven, the day he rested, like after after day six. But no, I think that's really good. A good observation, though, on how you're actually taking the text seriously. So talk about chapter three. Because they failed, huh? So chapter three is the fall. And the serpent comes on the scene more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the trees of the garden, we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. And then what does the serpent say? You surely will not die. And that's the age old statement. Satan contradicts God's word. And that gets us into a pickle. The trouble that we got into up until this day. And he's using that same method even to this day. What was that you were about to say? Yeah, I, I even think about Eve adding words to, to what God said. Yeah. He said that we can't even touch it. Now that's good because he didn't even say that. <laughs> so they probably could have touched it. They could have played catch with it catch with the fruit could have tossed it could have spent it on a finger like like a basketball but they couldn't eat it yeah, we yeah. Would like to blame eve but apparently uh adam wasn't doing a good job shepherding his wife no nah, that's good yeah because it the text literally says there and her husband who was what who was <laughs> with her ate too and a lot of people point out he was there the whole time and they make the argument that he was being passive and man, and if that's true, bro, that's an indictment against passive leadership. Like us as leaders, we have to stand up and say something. Like we know the command. We can't just sit there and stand idly by. And I think that is a big indictment on our culture. And that is one of the reasons we are where we are today. A lot of people don't stand up and lead or say something. And it's gotten even worse, bro. In a lot of households, the the leader walks away and leaves the family and leaves the the family leaderless, fatherless, husbandless. And so that was the case for my life. And I think you experienced that as well. You make a good point there. It's also interesting how Satan, his craftiness, he he hits all the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He says, he says, so when the woman saw yeah, the tree good. was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one. Everyone's wanting to be their own God. Yeah. That's what Satan uses. Your eyes will be open. You will be like God. Man. <laughs> Appeal to everything. All the senses. So, all the senses. Yeah. The, what was the three? Lust of the flesh. You had the flesh of desire, and you can see it. It looked good. And pride, it spoke to pride. And man, we got to be careful of all three of those. If you want a recipe of how to fall, I think First John brings this back up. We need to guard what we see, what we hear. You can add that to it. How we feel, because uh, we feel strongly about things. And some of those things contradict the word of God. And so it goes back to what's your authority? 
Is your authority your feelings or the word of God? And that's a wrestle that we're going to have to engage in a battle. And a lot of us, even as Christians today, we fail at that because our feelings scream and they scream loudly. Like they, I want it and I want it now. Like most of our feelings have the personality of a two-year-old. Like they scream at the top of their lungs. And what do we do? We give that two-year-old what it wants. We come from a culture that says, if it looks good, if it feels good, then why not do it? Do it. <laughs> and that's what kind of counsel you're going to get. Go do it. Like Nike, just do it. And man, we got to push back against it. Sometimes I think that's an argument. Bizzle made, makes this argument. Bizzle's one of my favorite Christian rappers, by the way. So I'm going to name drop him more than even theologians. Like he's my personal. But he says that the LGBT community he says, you think it's wrong that God asks you to suppress your desire, but God has been asking me to do that my entire marriage. If I have a desire for another woman, I have to suppress that and fight that. And so we're not telling you to do anything that we're not doing. And so I thought that was really powerful. I think the way he put it, you want to celebrate your desire, but you want me to suppress mine. And I think, man, it was bars like fire the way he worded that. I won't get too awful topic of the text. So we have this, did God really say the age old question? And that's the question and the response that changed the course of human history, causing women to doubt God's word. And the serpent brought evil into the world. And here the deceiver alienates people from God. So now that risk that you and I talked about is disrupted and God is not able to enjoy creation anymore because they're in sin something that he didn't want in his presence so something's about to happen throughout all human history now sinners are about to fill the earth and we're going to learn later in isaiah that's a problem because god didn't want sinners to fill the earth he wanted what to fill the earth his glory right and so god is going to give us a, a solution in chapter three there are three parties here and God didn't leave any one of them out. The serpent gets cursed, the woman gets cursed, and the man gets cursed. I guess I need to word that a little better because I heard one person say that God really didn't curse the man and curse the woman because if he cursed their person, they would be unredeemable. So he cursed certain things, certain aspects around them. And I always thought that was a good statement, and that makes me uh, want to be more precise with my language. So we see the curses there and the serpent is cursed to crawl on the belly, his belly and eat the dirt, dust of the earth all the days of his life. And he says that the, the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. And the man is cursed the ground because of you through painful tool. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. I skipped over this one in Genesis 3.15, and I think we're going to camp out here and wrap it up. And this is where he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Man, we get our first gospel statement in Genesis. Isn't that powerful? He says, war, bro. What is that? Uh, we played thumb war and growing up one, two, three, four. I declared thumb war. Yeah. God declared war, something bigger than thumb war. Yeah. Man, it's about to go down. 
it's about to go down. And God says, look, I'm going to get back to rest. And we hear, we see that thing come up over and over again of trying to get back to rest. In fact, Noah names means rest. And they say, maybe he's the one that will bring us rest. And I think this is powerful. So now God says what you said, enmity. We got this fancy word and you defined it for us. War, hostility, hate. So it's going to be two lineages to look for from here on out. There's going to be one that flows from your offspring. Who's the your? That's the serpent. That's Satan and her offspring, which is the woman there. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So the woman's offspring is going to defeat yours. But until that happens, there's going to be enmity and we can follow this enmity. We can follow this hostility, which makes sense. Now that God has said that quite naturally, we need what? We need genealogies now. Like we need lineages because if there is war, I want to know which one is of which. I want to know which one is of the woman. I want to know which one is of the serpent. And I want to be able to follow that. And so that should transform genealogies for us now to no longer say, oh, man, that boring stuff. I'm not reading that anymore. You should get excited about them now saying, hold on, wait a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. Let me follow God's genealogy so I can know the seed of the woman. And let me follow Satan's genealogy so I can know the seed of the serpent. And I can see that throughout human history. And I can see when war happens. And we immediately see that in the next chapter. You get Cain, our first murder, bro. The next chapter, we get our first murder. Cain kills Abel. And we'll talk about that next time. But before we wrap up, man, any anything else that sticks out to you in chapter three? Yeah. I, I was other than thinking, the amazing gospel yeah, I was presentation. About how, how, how Jesus, when he came, uh, he tells the Pharisees, he says, you're of your father, Satan. I calls him a brood of vipers. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Man, that's <laughs> real good. And that war was happening even up until the time of Christ. Now, that's powerful. We'll stop it there and we'll pick up next time. Yeah.